Welcome to Reveal Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. I think this is going to be an exciting year for us. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, if you would turn to the Old Testament, to the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. Hopefully you've read that far in your Bible over the years, and you know that's going to be up near the very front of the Old Testament, there the front of your Bible. This morning we're going to look over in the book of Exodus this morning. And once you found Exodus, you'll find that 14th chapter, starting the very first verse. Once you've laid your hands on Exodus chapter 14, verse number 1, if you would be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And let's dive into a message together here. It says this in Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Haharioth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then... I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pi-Haharoth before Baal-Zephon. But now Pharaoh drew near. The children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried to the Lord. Then said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that... We told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Father, we have worshipped you through our giving, through our tithes, our offerings, through our singing, through our fellowship together this morning, and now we have opened your word and read it in the presence of your people. Today, Father, I ask this of you. You take all that we've experienced in worshiping you so far, and you use it to focus our attention upon you and your word this morning, that we may hear your still, small voice speak to our heart. I ask you to make very little of me and very much of you, that you may be seen in all of your glory. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Start of a new year. (laughs) 
Along with the start of a new year comes a lot of starts of new questions in our life and looking back. And we'd like to make a, a habit of when a year ends to look back at the year before and look forward to the year that's ahead. And a lot of times that brings questions in our life. And let me ask you this. You ever ask yourself the question, why has God done this? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself that question? <laughs> I have. <laughs> have you ever wondered, why did God take me from where I was to where I happen to find myself right now? For some, that's good. For some, you're looking and saying, I really don't like where I'm at. So, yeah, that is a viable question in my life. Have you ever stopped to think, what's God got in store for me this year? Or better yet, what has God got in store for Morris Creek Baptist Church this year? Often at the start of a new year, we seek to make New Year's resolutions. Anybody make a New Year's resolution this year? <laughs> Nobody. I'm going to read a list, and you'll know after I read it that none of these happen to be my New Year's resolutions. <laughs> we make plans to be healthier. If you've seen what I eat, you know that's not on my <laughs> New Year's resolutions. Or wealthier, doesn't really concern me. Or to give up something that's not good for us. My wife keeps saying coffee's not good for us. I tell her I'm going to take a cup to the grave with me. Um, Maybe we make a resolution to lose weight. can obviously tell by the fact the button barely, fit, barely fits on the suit this morning. I didn't make that resolution last year, and I'll trust, trust me when I tell you I didn't make that again <laughs> this year. How about uh, to be a better father or mother? Now, that's one that, that I endeavor for, not just because it's a new year, but I endeavor for that every year for the sake of my children and those who follow behind me. What about to be a better student or a better employee? I've got some guys that, that work for me that I slipped that note into their stuff that that should be a New Year's resolution for them maybe in the year ahead. But, you know, we often do make New Year's resolutions. I've had people ask me, you know, is that biblical? You know, no, it's not. <laughs> we, we won't explain why, but it, it, it's not. But it's okay that you look forward to the things in the new year, and you should. You should make plans within God's will of what goes on in your life ahead. See, we often take the opportunity of a new year to try and right the wrongs of last year, try to set ourselves on a, on a new path. Maybe it's, well, I'm going to read the Bible through this year, or maybe I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get in the choir. Maybe I'm going to make sure I'm at Sunday school and be a part of that. Maybe it's, it's, you know, I'm going to be better at my job or, or my life, or I'm going to treat those around me better. There are things that we, we set in our life as, as goals for us. But you, have you ever stopped to think what God has in store for you and, and for your church corporately? You see, we, we need to be looking forward to a new year as, a, as the body of Christ at Moore's Creek also. Yes, individually, absolutely, but especially for us corporately as a body. You know, God's been extremely good to each of us individually. We could spend all morning telling stories. I just look around and see the ones that have been in the hospital recently that are able to be here with us this morning. God has just been good to us. He's been great to us, I think would be a better way to put it individually. But do you realize God has really been good to us as a church also? God has been extremely good. Somebody recently gave me a, a copy of the history, updated history of the church, and I was sitting at my desk yesterday as I was preparing this, and I said, I would just love to see where God has brought us. I made a couple of notes, obviously not all of them, and you'll find out why. Morris Creek, best they can tell, was organized in the late 1700s. <laughs> Breathe that in. Anybody here from the late 1700s? Shabby, put your hand down. You're not... <laughs> But the 1700s, organized somewhere to late 1700s, the first recorded dates as far as material written about the church was in the 1800 mark. 
1800. That's more than a week or so ago. <laughs> you know, in the late 1700s, eight members of a, another church, the Alderman family, actually led by Elder William Cooper, organized what came to be known as Morse Creek Baptist Church. For a while, this church was a dual church. If you didn't like the Baptist preacher, you just came the next Sunday, it was a Presbyterian preacher. I don't know if you realize that about your church. It was dual served. It was a free Christian church is what it was called at that particular point in time. Over the years, the church has grown through many phases of growth and many facilities, one of which to rid the flea problem apparently from a group of goats, they burnt the building to the ground. <laughs> don't think that was in the original plan, but that's what happened. There's one that's been moved up the street up here. So there's been several moves through both uh, uh, the body of Christ you know, coming and going as well as facilities within the church. Uh, I actually have the pleasure of being the 26th recorded pastor of this church. The 26th. That's pretty amazing. I'm sure there may have been others, but they only had 26 on record. There were some years that, that they weren't quite sure, maybe. Some of those, by the way, pastored multiple times, but 26 individual people. In the last three years, this happens to be starting my fourth year with you guys. You've bared with me through three, and you let me start the fourth. So this is the start of four years. But in the last three years, I just happened to look through. Do you realize there have been 31 believers brought into our fellowship in three years? I didn't even realize until I looked. That's through movement or letter, baptism, or whatever it may be. 31. We've seen a ton of ministries added to the church, outreach to uh, the community when we went and, and did stuff at homes. We have uh, the food stuff that we do. We have the children's home that we're participating in. We have uh, ministry to the aged adults. There's just all kinds of things that have opened up, new programs that have started, children in action on Wednesday nights. You've seen fall festival things. You've seen all kinds of things added to the church, to God's glory. What an amazing thing that he's done in our church. Our contribution to spreading the gospel to the other most ends of the world has increased because now we have several missionaries that we participate in supporting over the course of the year. And they spread the gospel all over to the, to the corners of the world. You know, this church has been extremely blessed by what God has in store for us and has had in store for us. It's just been amazing when you stop and think about the things that He has done. But you know what? About six months ago, as I was finishing up the, the series going through the book of Ephesians, God laid on my heart about six months ago that He has a whole bunch more in store for us than anything that we've seen. I know you hear pastors get in the pulpit and say, you know what? God's given me a vision for the church. If you're expecting that this morning, you're going to go away sorely <laughs> confused. I wish, having given God six months to say, you know what, there, there are plans for Morris Creek. I have something in, in mind for Morris Creek. I thought in six months, he would have figured it out and told me. <laughs> I think he's got it figured out. I just don't think I've heard. I just don't think I've heard. And that's a troubling place to be in as a pastor. I'll be honest with you. You know me, I'm used to preaching through a book of the Bible, which gives me the ability, the luxury of being able to study the book in whole as well as in pieces and see the road that's laid before me with that book. God's doing something very different this year in your pastor. He's going to preach the message of what he has for the church without revealing to me the end of the story. I've come to peace with the fact that God's going to take me one step at the time as he takes you one step at the time. If you know me, you know I'm a control freak. It's not a good place for me to be, <laughs> but it is the place I find myself with God. And this morning we're going to start a new series of messages. 
have no idea how long they're going to last. God's going to be in control of that. But I pray that it will lead us to see the vision that God has for us individually as his children, but us corporately as his church. For God has done great things with us so far, and I think that he has great things in store. A matter of fact, as I was thinking about this over the last few months, it suddenly crystallized in my mind exactly what we should call this series. It should be called, I believe, for such a time as this. God has put us here for such a time as this. Where do we get that? If you remember the story of Esther, the story of Esther was King Asherah, uh, uh, Queen Vashti, Haman, Mordecai, the whole big story. When the Jews were set to be decimated, she was looked at by a loving uncle and said, you ever thought you'd been put here for such a time as this? If not for her and her faithfulness, the lineage to the Messiah could have been wiped out. Have you ever thought that God has put us here for such a time as this? For such a time as this. With that in mind, let's look together at the story of Israel that we see in this book of Exodus, this story. I have absolutely zero hope of completing this message this morning. So be back with us in two weeks. I just looked down and there'll be enough time to introduce it. But let's look at this story together. Let's look at the story together with the title of this particular message. It's going to go a couple of weeks. But the title of this particular message is, He has brought us out so that He can bring us in. We're at the story of Israel at the point that they have been brought out. And first thing that we see when we look at this story of Israel and the fact that they've been brought out, the first thing I notice about the bringing out of Israel is God's deliverance. God's deliverance of Israel. If you know anything about the story, if you still have your Bibles open, and I would highly suggest this morning you keep them open because we're going to flip back and forth. But in Exodus chapter 12, back up just a few pages there in your Bible, you'll notice back in verse number 40 of chapter 12 of Exodus, it gives us this picture of Israel that says this. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years on that same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So what do we know about this, this country, this people, this chosen people of God this that they call Israel, that he named Israel, his chosen people? What do we know about their history up to the point that we're standing in Exodus? The main point of their history is for 430 years, they've been in bondage in another country. For 430 years, they've been in captivity. They've been held hostage in another country. They've been held hostage in a land. There's been a place that they've been for 430 years. Why did I say 430 years so many times? That is a long time to be somewhere. And they've been held in this This bondage for 430 years. How did they get out of that? Well, you know the story. Through a series of about 10 plagues, God moved Pharaoh to do what was requested of him all the way back in Exodus chapter 5. You still have your Bibles open. Flip back to Exodus chapter 5. Look in the very first verse, and it says this. Afterwards, Moses, this is basically Moses' first encounter with Pharaoh. The first time he walks in, it says, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. Now notice the next two words, or next four words, thus says the Lord. So what are they telling Pharaoh? They're giving a message to Pharaoh from God. And it says, thus says the Lord. And what did the Lord God of Israel say? Let my people go. 
<laughs> that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Moses and Aaron walk in. First time Moses lays eyes on Pharaoh, and he looks at him and says, let me give you a word from the Lord. Let my people go. After 430 years, do you really think Pharaoh saw Israel as God's people or his people? <laughs> and here walks Moses and Aaron in and says, God has said, let my people go. You know the rest of the story? After one plague, it's just no. Two plagues, no. Three plagues, uh-uh. Four plagues, not going to happen. Five plagues, nope, not moved. Six plagues, I don't think so. Seventh plague, nope. Eighth plague, don't even have my attention. The ninth plague, I'm still keeping them. But then came the tenth plague. <laughs> then came the tenth plague. Do you remember what the tenth plague was? Death of the firstborn. It's where the Passover came from. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you know we took the Lord's Supper. I referred to that Passover where the death angel was to enter. The death angel would come through if there was not blood on the doorpost and the lentil that was from the sacrificed lamb of God's people. If it was not spread on the doorpost and the lentil of the home, the firstborn of everything in that home would be killed. Guess what was not on the doorpost at Pharaoh's house? The blood of the lamb. After that tenth plague, Pharaoh's entire attitude <laughs> changed to a certain extent. If you'll look in that twelfth chapter that we're still in, the 31st verse, it says this, Then he, Pharaoh, called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Take them all, he said, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, if you have said, and be gone. And then he says, and bless me also. God got Pharaoh's attention. Exodus twelve thirty-seven. if you look, says this. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Rameses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. 600,000 men plus the women and children left. There were 600,000 workers in Egypt that were suddenly dismissed. Now that's a layoff. <laughs> that's a layoff. 600,000, the children of Israel had been in bondage, working as servants to Pharaoh for 400 years. The Bible tells us in Exodus 1 that when they entered, they weren't 600,000 strong. But if you'll read Exodus 1, you'll notice they multiplied like rabbits, I think is the word that we would use. They multiplied greatly. They became a great number, and they were a very strong workforce for Pharaoh. And even though they had been mistreated, they'd been dealt with unfairly, they had really come to know Egypt as a place of comfort for themselves. Even though physically they were uncomfortable, they had been there so long that it provided this sense of familiarity. They, they knew what tomorrow was going to be like because it was going to be just like today. They knew what was expected of them, and as long as they did that, the beatings would stop. <laughs> Life had become really routine. And you know what? Those people were good with that. They, they told Moses, why would we bother to leave? Why? You know, oftentimes in life, we become very comfortable with routine. 
we become very comfortable with routine. We know what to expect next. (laughs) We know how to deal with the problems that may arise because we've seen them before. And we know exactly what's expected of us. You know, we in church do the exact same thing. You know, when you see me walk from those sets of doors to up here, we're somewhere near the very top of the 11th hour. It's about time for church to start. You know, when a person walks up with a bulletin to the pulpit, they're about to read to you the announcements and bring to your attention those things. When we announce a hymn, you knew it was time to stand without anybody saying a word to you this morning. Whenever we finished the hymn and we said a prayer, you all bowed your heads because you knew that was what was about to happen. When we sung the next hymn, you were already standing. You'd already looked on the board. You'd already seen the number, and you'd already turned to it and were ready to go. You knew whenever the gentleman came to the front that you were about to be asked to give of your tithes and your offerings. And you knew whenever I prayed over that, you were to be seated and you would hear music play. You knew shortly thereafter I'd have the opportunity to address a group of kids that absolutely is the only part of the entire service that I have no idea what is going to happen. (laughs) It's right down there. Shortly thereafter, you're either going to hear a special or they're going to turn it over to me to preach, and you're going to hear a message. You also know, or at least you hope and pray, somewhere near the top of the 12 o'clock hour (laughs) that I'm through and you're ready to go. We get into those routines. We get into the routines that we show up on Sunday morning. Some of us show up on Wednesday night. If there happens to be a meeting called that we need to be at, we show up for those. Unfortunately, we get in the habit of bringing our Bibles on Sunday and reading them and placing them on a shelf on Monday so we'll know where to find them the next Sunday morning because we don't use them from Sunday forward. We get in the routine of knowing that God has saved us through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, and we're very comfortable with that, and we're so comfortable, we don't even bother to tell anybody about it. See, we get in routines. We get in routines both in our personal life, and we get in routines in our churches. See, and just like the Israelites, if we're not careful, we become extremely comfortable in our routines. But let me tell you this. God is not a God of routine. God is a God of change. God is a God of constant change in our lives. God had made a promise to those Israelites that they would inherit Canaan. Canaan was to be their promised land. It was to be this land that was flowing with milk and honey, yet they found themselves in a land where they were covered with bricks and burdens. But there was this promise that God had made. You know, God always fulfills His promises. For 430 years, it didn't look like it. But now is the time. For such a time as this, for the Israelites, now was the time. God had not forgotten about the children of Israel. In fact, God had prepared this man Moses and brought Moses into the picture to lead them out of bondage. And when Moses shows up on the scene, the Exodus begins. What an awesome picture. In Exodus 14, 1, where we started this morning, God gives the children of Israel very specific instructions about where they are to go. He said where they were to camp was to be by the sea. If you notice, he said there in the very uh, second verse, he said you're to go by uh, a camp there at Pi Hathoroth, but between Migdal and the sea, opposite 
bowels of fire, and you shall camp before it by the sea. He gives them very specific instructions to go camp by the sea. Well, what is this sea? It's the Red Sea. If you remember the Red Sea, the story of the Red Sea, this, by the way, was not the shortest route to the promised land. You do know that. I hope. If not, just look back over probably a page, chapter 13 of Exodus. Verse 17, it says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. It says he led them by the Red Sea. God had purposely led them by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And what does it say? What was his reasoning? <laughs> Lest they changed their minds. He was afraid. He knew. He knew their hearts well enough to know that if they ran into any kind of opposition with those Philistines and the one who were watching the short route between the two, that they were apt to Turn tail and run, I think is what Dad would say. <laughs> they were apt to turn around and head back home. See, God had a plan, and the plan required God's involvement for the plan to take place. Matter of fact, in that same 13th chapter, up in the 20th verse, if you look at it, it says, So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. You see, this plan of God's required God's participation. It also required the participation of God's people. In this plan. And it says that he led them. He wound up being this cloud that shielded them during the day. And this, this cloud of fire that led them at night. For them, they always had the presence of God as part of his plan. And in Exodus 14, 2, it says they find themselves camped with the mountains and cities behind them. The wilderness they just come through, and they're facing this Red Sea, this massive sea that is before them. Why the wilderness and the Red Sea? Verse 3 of chapter 14 says this, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel. So now Pharaoh's let them go. Pharaoh knows that they've gone ahead, and he knows that they've taken a funny route, and now find themselves trapped at the Red Sea in the wilderness, he says, they are bewildered by the land. That's a pharaohic way of saying, they ain't got no idea where they're going. He goes on to say, the wilderness, it's closed them in. Then it says, God speaking, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. 
Do you see God's presence in this plan? He's got a cloud that's with them during the day that shields him, a cloud at night that's fire that gives them direction. They find themselves looking at a Red Sea which seems to be impassable to them. Behind them is this wilderness they've just come through. And lo and behold, now God says, just to add a little fun to the game, we're going to send Pharaoh after you. And there's a purpose. There's a purpose in all that God does. He's going to send a Pharaoh after his people who seem to be bewildered and trapped in the wilderness for one reason. So that those who are chasing him will know that he is God. You see, Pharaoh saw himself as God. But he was about to learn a lesson. You know, each of us are either in bondage or been released from bondage. And that bondage is the bondage of sin. We're either under the power of Satan, in sin, unrepentant, not knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, or we've been released from that bondage by what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And have you ever thought that the deliverance from that bondage serves the purpose of bringing glory to God? Have you ever thought that just your release from bondage serves the purpose of bringing Him glory? Often if we were to ask, we often think that God saved us because He wanted something different for us or that He saved us because of who we are, that He saved us because what we could do for Him and His kingdom or that He saved us just because He had nothing else to do, that, that He saved us for some reason like that. But no, He saved us. To show that He is God. You see, your salvation tells the rest of the world that there is a God. And He is the great I am, the Lord. The great I am, the Lord. And He, he does this. He shows that He is God through the deliverance of the Israelites, just like He delivered us from the bondage. Pharaoh started questioning why He let him go there in that fifth verse. Said, why in the world? Why would we let these people go? They were our workforce. They did all the work around here. Whose bright idea was this? Happened to be his. And, and Pharaoh started questioning that. He gathered the best of his soldiers together, it says, even specifically mentions there are 600 choice chariots, which that means that's Pharaoh's intimate army, the inside army, the ones, the green berets of the whole bunch. He even gathered those together, it says there in verses 6 through 8. It gives you a picture of that. Then he it says he called up to Israel. They, they chased after Israel. They rushed out into the desert. In verse 9 it says, So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, and overtook them camping by the sea. Can you see this picture? Can you see the smile on Pharaoh's face? As he's riding the chariot, he goes, I might have let them go, but there they are. We got them now. There's nowhere to go. There's a big sea out here. We're right on their tail, guys. Just keep pressing. We've got them cornered. <laughs> And it says in Exodus 14.10, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. And behold, remember that's a point of exclamation in the word, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried to the Lord. Then said to Moses, the children of Israel, God's chosen people, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to the wilderness to die? They said, thanks a lot. Moses, couldn't they have dug a hole in Egypt? You had to bring us all the way out here to die? He says, so you brought us out of the widow's death. They also said, why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the very word that we told you in Egypt saying, 
Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than it would be to die in the wilderness. (laughs) Boy, God's people are strong now, aren't they? (laughs) It says the people became afraid. I think that's the understatement of the century. When they saw the Egyptians coming, they really got scared. They complained to Moses. Did did they not have the places they could bury us? Did you have to bring us out here to die? Wouldn't it have been better if we just stayed in bondage? At least we would have lived. What's the big deal here, Moses? Look at verse 13 of chapter 14. And it says this, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Can't you almost see his demeanor? They're complaining. They're all in an uproar. They're running around in a frenzy trying to figure out what to do. And Moses says, Do not be afraid. Reminds me of the Christmas story, doesn't it, you? When the angels appear to announce the birth of a Savior, and fear leaps into the hearts of those that are there, and they say, Do not be afraid. Why are they not to be afraid? It says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. (laughs) The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. He says, stand still. Isn't that good advice for us today? (laughs) Sometimes we need to just stand still. Stand still and listen to God. Don't put the cart ahead of the horse. Don't get ahead of where God's working, but listen for what God would have us do. He says, see the salvation of the Lord. Realize where your salvation comes from. Your salvation comes from an almighty, sovereign God who chose to give His only begotten Son on your behalf that you might have life eternal and be taken from the bondage of sin and placed into the life of Jesus Christ. He says, realize who your deliverance is. There's nothing that you can do to earn that deliverance, and there is nothing you can do to keep it for yourself. It's all in God's providence. Then he says, the Lord will fight for you. If you are His, He is on your side. If you are His, God is on your side. God will provide, and God will protect. Remember this, church. God is in control. There's not a thing that we do that God does not control. God's mighty hand has not only been on us individually, but has been on us as a church. How do we know that God is in control? Very quickly, verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that, see it again, I am the Lord. When I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of the Lord who went before the camp of Israel moved. And went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to one. (laughs) And it gave light by night to the other. So that the one did not come near the other all the night. How do we know that God was in control? God had even the approach of Pharaoh and his imminent attack on the Israelites completely in his control. That cloud that had been 
overshadowing them and leading them on the hot days and had turned to fire at night so that they could see that angel of the Lord now moved from in front to behind to separate those armies. It says, for one, for the Egyptians, it was darkness. For the opposite, it was bright light. It was God shining light on His people. He shared the start of the plan with Moses. He said, these are what things that we're about to do. He told Moses in 21 and 23, he says, go raise up your rod over this, this sea that's before you and it will part. And, and then he said, God did as he promised and the Red Sea parted. If you thought about that, the, the Red Sea parted. Walls of water, dry land, where once there was a sea. The children, it says, walk through on dry ground. The children of Israel walk through on dry ground. You know what that tells me about God? He is faithful. God is faithful. When God commands us to do something, how are we to respond? We do it. Logically, in Moses' mind, I'm sure it made absolutely zero sense that a rod held up over a sea was going to give them an exit. Yet he held that rod. And he saw the waters roll back. How many people had come with him? Over 600,000. And they walked through two walls of water on dry ground. See, we are to do what God tells us to do because he is faithful and we can trust him to do what he has promised. And God showed up in a big way that day. He delivered a path of escape for Israel. And just as God had said, Pharaoh followed. Did you catch that? There had been this cloud that had separated them had kept them at a distance all night and protected Israel. When the waters parted and Israel entered, the word says Pharaoh followed. Apparently God had removed the cloud. Pharaoh chased them in just as he promised. And he had not said that Pharaoh would change his mind because of a cloud or change his mind when he saw the waters parted or change his mind when he saw the people of Israel strolling across on dry ground. No, God said Pharaoh's heart was so hardened he was going to pursue them. And now we see God's provision of protection in that 24th verse. It says, Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. Notice God even knocked the wheels off their chariots, which made it, needless to say, a little difficult for them to drive. And it says that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Lo and behold, what had Moses told the Israelites? Stand still. Remember your salvation. God's going to be the one fighting for you. Even the Egyptians noticed that. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots, on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hands over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the army of Pharaoh that had come into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. Do you see God's provision? He knocks the wheels off the chariot. He hardens their hearts so much they run straight into the water. He has Moses stretch his hand back over the sea. The sea closes in. And now Pharaoh, who was so determined to decimate this Israelite nation, this children of God, was washed away. 
What had Moses told the children of Israel? This army you will never, ever, forevermore see again. And they were completely decimated. Just to pinpoint it, they write for us in the 29th verse, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the seas, and the waters were a wall to them on the right and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord. And believe the Lord and his servant Moses. It says that they saw the great work of the Lord. And it says because of the great work of the Lord, they feared the Lord. Let me ask you this, church, in closing. Have you seen the great work of the Lord? Have you seen the great work of the Lord in your life? Have you seen the great work of the Lord in this church and the things that he's done in this community? For I know the answer to that question is yes. When I said there's been 30 people that have joined our fellowship over the last three years, I don't track numbers, don't really care to. But if you happen to look to my left and you're right on the board, how many do we have that attend Sunday school on a regular basis? Somewhere in the 60 neighborhood. Do you realize half as many people as attend our Sunday school have joined our fellowship in the last three years? That's a mighty work of God. That's not saying one or two percent. God has sent people here for such a time as this. How is it when we have opportunities to reach out and support someone, to help them in their ministry, whether it be a missionary, an organization, or whatever, how is it that God always has for us the funds to do that? I was telling the deacons, I think last Monday night we talked. How many times have you heard me stand in this pulpit and preach to you a tithing message? They answered it. It was zero. It was zero. Yet God has always provided. God has done mighty things in our presence. I pray that we turn our vision towards what He has not only done, but what He is going to do in the days ahead. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.